coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. I look for their ability to listen and not be loud themselves. I look for the fact of whether they're trying to learn every day something new, even if it's a language or some history, something that's not industry specific. And I look for their ability to lead by example. Do you want to learn the tricks the top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help. Lead to Succeed picks the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to episode 13 of Lead to Succeed. This episode's interesting fact is... In 2016, the global consulting market was worth more than 250 billion US dollars. The management consultant sector, which generally advises organizations on how to improve their performance, had an expected market size of over 130 billion US dollars in the same year. Today's guest may be able to vouch for those numbers. Our guest today is Melody Macbeth. Through Highland Fundraising Solutions, Melody has helped nonprofit institutions with all aspects of philanthropy operations. She's the author of the United States Uniformed Services Guide to Ranks, a wife, mom, and grandma, and U.S. Army vet. Melody, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me today. It's my pleasure. So we have a lot to unpack today in our conversation, clearly. Uh, There's a lot in that bio already. And uh, just for everybody uh, who's listening in on Lead to Succeed, I've had the pleasure and privilege of of getting to know Melody now for a few years. A few years back, she uh, invited me to present at a conference that she's very much involved in, in the advancement space. And so, Melody, let's go right there if we could and talk a little bit more for us, please, about your consulting work. Who do you serve and how do you serve them? I serve the advancement services operations end of nonprofit organizations. So whether that's a museum, a zoo, higher ed, independent schools, it doesn't really, you know, all of those are within the industry. And the part that I play in that is helping them to run their databases, which they use to keep track of their donors and their prospects. And being able to standardize that data and then help them throughout the operations portions of it. So how to how to do things a little more efficiently, perhaps a little more uh, in line with federal law and guidelines. Uh, sometimes that does come into play, but mostly it's about how to get the work done with the few people that they have who are oftentimes not specialists in this area. Got it. So tell us then... Uh, since obviously you're providing specific consulting, it sounds like for nonprofits. Uh, number one, how did you get into the consulting side of things? And number two, why did you choose to serve the nonprofit sector? Hmm. Well, the consulting biz for me got started in 2010. I was employed with a, a local institution at the time and had been there for about seven years. I had been very active on a list serve which is a question and answer space for anybody that doesn't really know that, that's online, that's industry specific. And so uh, that kind of got my name out and about a little bit. And people were actually contacting me off of that portal and asking me specific questions. And then actually it was a a hiccup in leadership at the, the place that I was at that caused me to seek other avenues, you know, specifically. 
And so the opportunity presented itself. I had two separate institutions at once ask me if I would consider consulting with them. That was the impetus behind actually getting going. I was on more of a six-month plan, and one month later, I was in business for myself. Wow. And so it's been, uh, we've been moderately successful since then, and it's not just me anymore, but um, I won't say that we're you know, wildly successful. I never wanted to be wildly successful because I wanted to be able to manage this personally. Mm. So being wildly successful makes a lot of decisions very difficult to make. And so this has kept the pace that I wanted to keep. It's allowed me to do a lot of different things with a lot of different organizations and a lot of different structures. I love the ability to go in and meet new people, find out new issues, their sticky issues, whatever they happen to be, and find answers that fit that institution. That's what we specialize in. Sure. Okay. So I'm going to push back a little bit then because... You know, I'm assuming, tell me if I'm wrong here, that you are defining wildly successful in purely financial terms. If I'm wrong, of course, you could tell me. But it sounds to me that you are wildly successful on a different level in terms of your ability to provide service. Would that be a fair statement? I think it would be fair, yeah. At Highland, I have always said that we're here to help these folks. Our mission is to help them achieve theirs. I know that sounds a little bit trite, but you know that is really what we're trying to do. And if I was at the point where I was managing a huge firm, I would have much less of a hands-on ability in that area. So, you know, there's the difference between owning a business and allowing a business to own you. Yeah. And so that is really where I'm trying to keep this is where I own the business. And, you know, I, I get to be able to say when and how we're doing things and what our mindset is. How do we approach our partners? And we do see them as our institutional partners in our clients. And, you know, like I said, we don't do cookie cutter created sort of solutions. We actually do the answers that fit that particular institution. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I do want to come back to this concept of owning your business versus being owned by it because that's fascinating. But tell me, um, since you talked about your journey a little bit in terms of uh, getting from, I would say, full-time regular employment into the consultative space in relatively short time. Uh, maybe your pathway is a bit unusual and maybe not fully transferable to other people. But what advice would you give to somebody who's been in a nine to five, been working for somebody else for a while, feels they've got great technical skills and hopefully other skills as well? What kind of advice would you give them that they should incorporate, whether it's new learning, relationship building, you name it, uh, that's going to help them to succeed as an independent consultant for others? Oh, definitely. You need to have your contacts out there. One of the things I've been blessed with is the gift of gab. And so I don't really have a problem talking to the complete stranger in the elevator or on the airplane or anyplace else. That's one of those things that I've had to work hard at being able to cultivate. So definitely that's one of the recommendations that I have for anyone that wants to start their own business. People are not going to knock on your front door and ask you to work for them. So you have to be able to communicate to that person exactly how you can enrich their lives. And so that's really the probably the number one skill you need to have. Of course, you have to be able to back up whatever you're selling with skills. So you need to make sure that you know what it is you're doing or the product that you're selling has to do 
you know, has to be able to fill that niche in some way. But the number one thing is being able to be relatable and communicative with people. I know I'm, I'm speaking for some people who are listening to this and probably even for myself. Uh, I consider myself to be primarily introverted. And uh, that doesn't mean that I can't communicate or have good conversation with other people, but I'm not necessarily as inclined and as open to the idea as other people are. And perhaps maybe there are people who are listening that just don't feel that their communication skills are fully developed, robust, whatever it might be. What else, obviously you want, you still want to work on this for sure, but what else do consultants or people who are thinking about it need to do in order to get themselves out there to start to develop those relationships and get people to trust that they can deliver services that are meaningful for them? Well, I believe practice, practice, practice is really the, the big key. Volunteering with organizations is a huge help. I've always been involved at one point or another, whether it was with the JCs when I was of age and, or, or now with the uh, industry and the advancements, there's a governing sort of body. We're not really a governing body, but a group of, of professionals. It's the AASP, and that was the conference that I did ask you to come and join us at. And that's the Association of Advancement Services Professionals. So I joined that and volunteer on committees that get you to meet other people in the industry. They come to know you. They come to hear your voice as the one of reason and knowledge. And therefore, they'll start to ask you questions. What would you do in this situation? And that's where you can really know what the signs are. I mean, no one wants to really see that person in the elevator that says, oh, I've got you cornered for all of 30 seconds. Let me tell you everything about my business. That's not how yeah. it's done. It's done along the line of when they ask you a question, you do need to be prepared. And whether that's practicing that in front of a mirror or talking to your, your pet or your child or whatever, you do need to be able to practice it out loud so that it comes off naturally. Mm. Yeah, that's great. I think practice is really important. I think, you know, I, I do public speaking and, and other things which require that I be in front of an audience. And I know that you do that as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that oftentimes when people get up there to present, the audience doesn't necessarily appreciate the amount of practice and the amount of preparation that goes into it. But I think as Lead to Succeed Nation is listening to this and as they're processing your guidance and your wisdom, um, everybody, you just do need to be thinking about what is my message? How do I create a succinct message that's very clear about what you do and how you do it, who you help, et cetera, and then practice it over and over, ideally in front of a live audience if you can, to make sure that people are responding well to what you're saying. But if you can't, even like Melody said, whether it's in front of the mirror or some other place where you can just get really, really comfortable so that when you do present your message, it's, it's natural and it really flows. Did I get that right? Yes. And I believe recording yourself is a huge key in this too, because if you're one of those people that says, um, or, uh, a lot, you'll catch that when you listen to yourself. And that can be very off-putting when you're in a public venue. People don't want to really listen to that, that stammer or stutter. So, you know, if you can't get away from things of that nature, of course, but practice will take care of it. And believe me, when I started, I was not able to do this smoothly. I had the butterflies, my hands would shake, I'd stand behind the podium so I wouldn't fall over. Oh yes, I was not a natural at this, but I have practiced it. 
Fantastic. I mean, one of the beauties about podcasting is that we can delete all the ums and, you know, whatever else. <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, uh, most of the people I get to speak with, and I'd like to think myself as well, really don't engage in those because they are clear on their message. But that is an important point. And we do have to be mindful of the verbals as well as the nonverbals that really do put people off. And getting the feedback is really critical. So that's a fantastic point, Melody. Thank you for that. And because this is a leadership podcast, I do want to talk about leadership in a more direct way. And uh, because you have the opportunity, obviously you're a leader in your own business, but you have the opportunity to work with leaders in a variety of organizations. You mentioned museums and zoos and higher education and other nonprofit organizations. If you had to describe briefly the you know, excellent organizational leadership. What does that look like to you? What is the leader doing? What is the organization looking like as the result of such leadership? Well, I have three things that I look for when I'm meeting a new leader or meeting a leader for the first time. So when I go into a new institution as a consultant and we're just getting to know each other, I look for three very definite things in that person. I look for their ability to listen and not be loud themselves. I look for the fact of whether they're trying to learn every day something new, even if it's a language or some history, something that's not industry specific. And I look for their ability to lead by example. So those are my three L's that they they need to listen, learn, and lead. If they're not doing one of those, I know that I've got a little bit more of an uphill climb with this particular person because that means there's something not working well in their team. Now understand, if I get called in to help an institution, it usually means they've already accepted that something is broken. Yeah. But it could yeah. be a system, not a person. It could, you know, it's, it's I, I work with some great leaders and I've worked with some not so great leaders. And you're so you're telling me basically that people aren't calling up Melody in the middle of the day saying, oh, we are doing fantastic. Let's bring her in to make us even better. That's not that's not usually what they say, what the call sounds like. No, no. In fact, I, for a little while, I was beating myself up going, why do I always get the really messy databases? And then it was, oh, duh, that's because they know you can fix it. <laughs> so. Yep, that's exactly right. But one of the things that I learned, I learned it, I wouldn't say the hard way, but I, I don't think I learned it necessarily at the very beginning of my own leadership experience is that, you know, it is important to have coaching and consulting services provided even when things seem to be going well. Uh, So number one, you always want to do better. And number two, you want to be able to identify uh, if there are some unidentified or unrecognized, at least at that particular time, problems that are just beginning to emerge that could have long-term negative implications if you don't, in fact, deal with them. So while, uh, you know, as somebody who also coaches and consults, I definitely can speak to the fact that most clients are not reaching out from a position of strength. I certainly would encourage everybody who's listening to, uh, you know, to consider bringing people on at an earlier point where you feel things are pretty good, but you want to continue to grow because lifelong learning is always important. Organizational health is critical. And finding somebody who's a real expert, whether it's Melody in her type of work or other guests on this show or other consultants that you know of that are just excellent at what they do and get into a lot of different organizations and see what excellent looks like, excellence, excuse me, looks like across the board, that's a perspective you typically cannot get in your own four walls. And, uh, and that alone is worth, worth uh, in my opinion, the price of admission. What do you think, Melody? 
Oh, I agree. And I, you know, it's over the seven plus years now that I've had Highland, uh, my consulting has made different turns that I certainly didn't expect. I was with a healthcare organization whose foundation was in a building off campus, off the hospital grounds, and ended up doing martial arts training with their staff. So you never know what you're going to end up doing with someone because of the specialties that they bring from the outside in. Uh, they had a, they felt they had a need for some self-defense training. I used to teach at a karate school. And so, you know, I was brought, that was something that came out in a conversation and it became a, oh, gee whiz, maybe you can help us. Yeah. If you haven't ever had that conversation with someone, you don't know whether they can or not. Sure. Absolutely. So having those conversations are critical. And uh, like I said before, I think it's really important for all of us to continue to keep our ears up, our antennas up, if you will, to find out what are the resources in my community that can just help me do what I already do even better. So we're going to shift a little bit because you did mention that you've worked with some leaders that are maybe not as good. (laughs) And so my question to you is, what horror stories can you share, Melody, from the field? Something, uh, a leadership no-no that that Lead to Succeed Nation should put in their back pocket as something to avoid. Well, I thought about this because thankfully you did provide the question beforehand as a as an opportunity to to open my mind a little bit. And one of the things that immediately came to mind was a past new leader. I was um, already working at that particular place. That leader was brought in from within the ranks and was elevated to a leadership position. And the first one-on-one I had with that person, they told me that their job was there to teach me to how to be a leader. That came off as very, very combative. I did not receive that information well. I did ask the person if they had read my resume at that point because I had more leadership experience than anyone else in the building did. And I pointed that out to this person. So it was a matter of not being informed And that was one of the biggest parts of why that relationship never went well afterwards either. That first impression didn't go well, even though I had known the person for years. But as you get elevated to a position of new leadership, you are now a new person in that that other coworker's mind. And so you do need to be aware of how you present yourself. It's very difficult to be promoted from within. But it can be handled very easily and very well. So being able to know what you're dealing with and the skill sets of the people that are working for you is paramount. Can't even, you know, stress this enough. I've also had to deal with people whose egos, and this was really an ego situation. They didn't check their ego at the door. And I think one of the main keys to being a really good leader is that your ego is not that shadow, that, that gray cloud hanging over your head all day. You really have to let that go and be prepared to promote the people that work for you. My leadership strategy has always been to try to make the people that work for me be able to take my job. I want to teach them how to take my job. That's a very, uh, yeah, go ahead. Elaborate, please. Yeah. Number one, I like to move a lot. I've moved 54 times in my life. I'm an army brat. I joined the family business when I got old enough. I continue to move even as I became a civilian. I like to move a lot. So the consulting is perfect for me because I get to go to place to place to place. But also, as I teach these people how to take my job, they rise up. And as they rise up as their manager, I'm going to continue to rise up. You float on top. Mm. And so I've always told my folks, 
when they were working for me, look, there's two things that I'm going to do. I'm going to stand in front of you if it's the bus that's coming, and I'm going to get out of the way if the limelight is shining. Beautiful. Very nice. What I'm hearing, by the way, you didn't use this terminology, but I think it's beautiful nonetheless, is the concept of abundance theory, that really there's opportunity for everybody. And uh, just because somebody else is going to grow into a greater, more robust leader does not in any way diminish your role as that person's leader or just as somebody who is continuing to grow into leadership yourself within the organization. And I think that a lot of times leaders become very fearful. I don't know if it's a lack of self-confidence or if it's a sense of fixed mindset, but sometimes leaders just become very uncomfortable with the idea that people around them are growing and perhaps even growing at a more rapid and noticeable clip than they. And the fact that you are willing to accept this growth and not only that, but to promote it and encourage it, I think that's fascinating. I think it's beautiful. And it really speaks to the concept of servant leadership on a very, very deep level. I've, I've never been passed up. <laughs> so I've never had someone that worked for me pass me over for a promotion. And I know there's folks out there that that has happened to them. And I feel for you. I can't imagine how I would feel if that had happened to me. But I would like to believe that I would be absolutely thrilled to see someone that I was able to mentor and help grow succeed and realize the full potential of where they're getting and where they're going. Mm. I know it's it's not really the most PC sort of thing to say from an HR standpoint. I'm ex-military, so I'm going to get into my acronyms. But I do believe that, you know, sometimes I see the coworkers in a way as my kids. I don't treat them like my kids. No way. I would never treat my coworkers as my kids. But the fact that they succeed, I see that as such a wonderful, glorious thing. I am so proud of the people that work for me, the people that work with me, and of course, my kids, who are both adults and have kids of their own now. So it, it's just that sort of a warm and fuzzy feeling, really bad terminology here, and I apologize for that. Not at all. Don't worry about it. We, we, love, we love to hear that angle of it, and I think it's really great, this idea of their success is really your success, and to embrace that concept, you know, actually in Jewish tradition— the, the rabbinic, so to speak, uh, teachings are that there are two people that we're not envious of. One of them are our kids, and the other one are our students, because of the fact that we really see those as extensions of ourselves. So no matter how much they grow and how much they develop, the more we invest in them, ultimately their growth is viewed as, a, as an extension of or the, the fruit of the labor that we invested that whole time. So it really resonates with me personally. I think it's a beautiful idea. And I think that that is a, a really fantastic way to sort of wrap up your perspective on leadership and what is so important for every leader to, to be thinking about, you know, as they're engaging with their people. The, the gold here is, is, is unbelievable and definitely needs to be mined further. So let's talk practically because we're talking, I wouldn't say that this is impractical, but I would say that it's maybe more in terms of mindset. But let's talk about actions. What are some actions that a leader should be doing every day? in order to ensure that he or she is effectively leading themselves as well as, well as their people? No, well, I think they, the number one thing they need to be able to do is listen actively. There's listening and not really hearing what's going on, and then there's active listening. And, and there's lots of articles and lots of uh, white papers out there about how to actively listen. 
And so that's something that if you don't already know the concept, you should go out and read about it. And of course, I know you do know Vitaly. Yes, but, it's uh, actually it's actually in my book, Becoming yes. the New Boss. So thank you for that little opportunity. Go ahead. Yeah. And that's the number one thing, because I've seen so many people in a leadership position that are being told there is an issue or they're being told perhaps that the bandwidth is not big enough. I see this so much within my industry is because I work with nonprofits. The idea is that there is not really enough headcount to do the job effectively within an office. And so I see people having to wear many, many hats. They're overworked, they're underpaid, and it's it can be very diminishing. And so they go to their leadership and they say, help, I need help, I need something, I need you know, a lessening of duties or something. And they're just, they're talking to the wall. And that leader's just not actively listening. Now that leader may not have the answers. I'm not saying you're going to have the answers because you're going to deal with the same limitations that the institution has brought down. But there are other things that can be done. There's, there's job sharing ideas. There's always something that can be done. Sometimes 90% of it is just listening. Yeah. And know that that employee knows they're being heard. If I'm not mistaken, I don't mean to cut you off, but I think that was one of the main points that I was asked to deliver at the AASP uh, summit a couple of years ago when I spoke for you specifically to this point, if I remember correctly. Absolutely. I think we've been working together very long on this one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, we're going to get this message out sooner than later, and we're going to share it a little bit further. Beautiful. Is there anything else you wanted to share about action steps for leaders before we transition? Uh, They have to lead by example. Absolutely. You have to lead by example. I cannot begin to say how many times I've seen a leader that will, you know, do as I say, not as I do type of an attitude. And that is a morale killer in a heartbeat. Uh, That will just send your entire staff into a doldrums that they just can't dig out of. And so if you've got that sort of issue going on in your organization, you might want to step back and look in the mirror and see if, if that is what you're doing. Don't play head games with them. Don't, uh, you know, it's not a competition. There again, have them rise up and they will bring you up with them. Any final ones before we move on? Oh, I think learning every day is, is, is paramount to being a really good human being. You know, I, I like to learn something new every day, even if it's a new word in a foreign language, even if it's a, an existing word in my home language, in my first language that I didn't really know the meaning of. I try to learn a little bit of something new every day, even if it's a you know seemingly small statistic about something that I may never realize how I'll end up using it nine times out of 10. It may be six, eight weeks later. I'll say, did you know this? (laughs) So that more than anything else, I think is what keeps us alive and keeps our brains working. My mother suffers from dementia. And so it's, I'm, I'm always looking for active ways to keep my mind still working. Fantastic. Yeah. So it sounds like really a reinforcement of those three L's you mentioned before of listening, learning and leading by example. And I think if nothing else, if uh, Lead to Succeed Nation takes those three points and really, really takes them to heart, 
uh, our conversation will have been more, well worth the time. And and actually, I didn't mention this before, but all the technological challenges we had in getting together, we actually tried to schedule this earlier today. But <laughs> I'm glad, I'm delighted that we're having the conversation now because ultimately that's uh, you know really leading us to uh, to some some fantastic learning. So thank you so much for sharing uh, all of that guidance and wisdom. And so now I'm going to transition to a little bit of a different. Uh, space, if you will, within the Lead to Succeed podcast and focus on what we call rapid fire. And so the way that rapid fire works is I ask you a short question and it gives us an opportunity to pull back the curtain a little bit, get to know you as a person, get to know you not so much necessarily as a professional. Uh, Melody, since you travel all over the place, uh, what would you say is your favorite area of the United States to spend time in? That's a rough one because there are so many really beautiful areas of this country and the world in general. But uh, I have to say South Central Pennsylvania is is a particular favorite of mine. People are, are nice and friendly. The scenery is beautiful. I live just outside of Gettysburg, and so it's become a favorite. Like I said, I've moved a lot, so this is not where I would necessarily call my home base. My parents called upstate New York home, Uh but I really like this area. If it could be one season all year long, which one would it be? Oh, I'm going to get a lot of haters for this. I love the winter. Okay. I love snow. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting. I just had somebody on in a recent call and they also talked about, they had relocated to Wisconsin from wherever they started. And Actually, it was uh, Stephen Wozner who mentioned this. He just loves Wisconsin winters now, Mm -hmm. the beauty, the peace, the tranquility. What's the worst part of business travel? Uh, Airports nowadays. You know, it's not fun. I can remember when it used to be fun. Uh So it's just not fun. The best kind of food to order from hotel room service. Oh, since I work for nonprofits, I don't order from hotel rooms. I figured on occasion. (laughs) I don't. I always go downstairs because it's always more expensive in the room. I, on occasion, when I've been at a conference speaking and have had the ability to do it, I've ordered breakfast and it's always oatmeal because it stays nice and warm because it's dense. And that's a good way to start your day. (laughs) And finally, we'll take it a little lighter here. Your favorite kind of movie. My favorite kind of movie, um, (laughs) sci-fi. I love the comic book movie heroes. You know, I I love those Uh movies. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, fantastic. So give us, give Lead to Succeed Nation a little bit more information about the work that you do, where they could reach you, how they can connect with you, and, uh, and then we'll go from there. Well, sure. Um, my website, of course, is out there and available. We don't really advertise. It's just the website there and uh, a couple of conferences and stuff. So it's um, highlandfrs.com. So Highland Fundraising Solutions. So FRS, Frank, Romeo, Sierra. And you know you can find all kinds of information on there. There's download material there from different conferences where we've I've spoken or one of my senior consultants have spoken. There's some forms that are available that are industry specific and the book that is available there. I was lucky enough to get asked one time to put together a compilation of U.S. Uniform Services Guide to Ranks. And so that is available. It gives you what the rank is and then what you actually call the person. So, you know, when you're speaking to them verbally. And there are seven uniform services. So not a lot of folks do know that, but it will cover all seven of those. So that's available on the website. But what we basically do is we help you in any aspect of your nonprofit institution. 
whether it's streamlining the operations that you do or cleaning up the database that you're operating from within, we that's what we do. And what makes us different from everybody else is that we will actually change the data for you. A lot of institutions either don't have the manpower or the manpower doesn't have the knowledge, whereas we have both. And so we can come in and one of my my uh, subcontractors likes to call us the, the shoemakers elves. We do the work in the middle of the night and get it done so it's nice and clean for you the next morning. It takes a little longer than that, but uh, that is what we do. We do it for you. And then we train, we document, we do everything that you need to do on the operations side. And we actually even outsource as DBAs for at least two different organizations right now. So. That's incredible. Lots of lots of things there. We're going to share Melody's website as well as social media links in the show notes. Before we conclude today, Melody, leave us please with one final life lesson. Have fun. Oh my gosh, it's so short and it's so important and you have such a huge impact to other people. You have to go through life with confidence, positivity, and absolutely a sense of humor. Because otherwise, it's no fun. So what's the point? So just just go and have fun and find fun in what you do. We all have to run. Yeah, I was about to say, I think it's evident that you have fun in your work because uh, your passion is clear. The, the way you just said it is fantastic and really, I think, captures the essence of the work that you do and the asset that you are to your clients. So, Melody, thank you so very much for being on our show today. Uh, for being a guest on Lead to Succeed. You have really, really raised the standard as far as our knowledge and understanding of how consultants can really make a difference and perhaps even more importantly, the impact that leaders have on their people and on their communities. Well, thank you so much for having me. Today's leadership quote is from Arnold H. Glasso. A good leader takes a little more than his share of the blame, a little less than his share of the credit. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you could lead to succeed. Don't forget to pick up your copy of Becoming the New Boss on Amazon. Learn more about the book at becomingthenewboss.com. If you already got your copy, be sure to leave a comment on Amazon. We love to read the reviews and particularly appreciate when you've taken the time to read, share, and discuss. Have a great day, everyone. And thanks again for choosing Lead to Succeed.